Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Uh, happy uh, NBA playoffs. Happy uh, holding pattern in college football. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a... Not a ton different from last week, but, you know, we're all still here. Nothing changes and everything changes uh, seemingly every day, maybe every hour of every day. Your nets looked interesting for a quarter today yeah, before things uh, kind of fell apart. I, I think the nets could con- conceivably uh, play with some of the teams in this playoff because they're kind of weird and like can get hot. I don't think the Raptors are that team. I think the Raptors are too just rock solid defensively. They're so, so long. Um, and they just have so many guys to throw at you. So I'm, you know, hoping they can steal one, but I don't have a ton of uh, expectations. The fact they've looked as good as they have in the bubble, I think, is is just a nice takeaway. Yeah, and really for you guys, I mean, I think it's a big benefit. Like, I think the Nets, more than just about any other team, uh, have used the bubble correctly and well in the sense that they've been able to deploy a variety of different lineups, uh, different young players um, have given, you know, Karis LeVert in particular uh, some time to shine. And have really just like let young players um, kind of either refine their sea legs or um, give some young players a chance to at least uh, define a role going forward. Now, of course, the, the the drawback of that could be just recreate some of the problems from earlier in the, in the season with Kyrie um, and kind of some of the the you know Celtics problems with Kyrie too is that when you have all these younger guys who figure out their own roles without a star or two in this, in the case of the Nets next season is what happens when they come back is that they have to accept diminished roles. Um, so I wonder if that could potentially have an effect, but realistically, I think uh, regardless, they either develop talent for their own use or develop talent. Um, they could potentially spin off um, into other assets and flexibility um, to help out KD and Kyrie down the road. So I think I, I'm personally a fan of, of, of what they did, but, yeah, I'm also not a Nets fan, so. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be fascinating to see how they handle this, like, weird offseason. Um, I think the two main takeaways, aside from the Levert kind of breakout, um, like, I think Joe Harris and Jared Allen are, like, pretty clear pieces going forward because they fit in pretty seamlessly with Durant and uh, Tyree as guys who don't need the ball in their hands. Now, the problem is with Terrence Levert, um, he's, like, kind of been the, the de facto point guard point forward for the team in this bubble and he's been great um he's very ball dominant and i don't know how that works alongside katie and tyree who i think are kind of weird fits together uh, already um and then ditto with spencer dinwiddie when he comes back um so i think they have a lot of interesting players i think there's going to be a lot of talk about them trading dinwiddie and or lavert and i'm like not opposed to that as much as i like lavert um i just think it's gonna be hard to get uh value back for him because i think he's like a borderline all-star level player and i hate the thought of trading a guy with that kind of talent um just because of a steam fit um and get like you know 75 cents on the dollar so kevin um, knox in the next first round pick next year oh uh, yeah see i don't, I don't want that i saw <laughs> I mean, someone mention like Kuzma. i'm like lavert's better than Truzma right now why would i want that trade like um yeah, so hopefully either they figure it out or I've seen some people float like it's going to be maybe a tough sell, but maybe you can try to, you know, hold on to him and say like he's the sits man and he basically like leads the second unit. And I think that's an interesting thought, but it's tough to, you know, it's tough to tell that to a former first round pick who's in his mid 20s who's like looking uh, like he's on the verge of a breakout. So uh, it'll be fascinating. Like, I think you have to, you've, you've kind of made your, you, you've kind of thrown all your chips in the center. Like, people know you're building around. Katie and Tyree and in terms of like the proven talent I know Kyrie's controversial but like they're two of the 10 to 15 most talented players in the NBA you kind of have to um it's just it's going to be tough to to really fit everything in around them because they are both like players that need the balls in their hand of the ball in their hands so um I think Joe Harris obviously fits I think Jared Allen obviously fits um maybe a couple of the other like secondary tertiary guys but the uh the Dinwiddie and the Levert conversations would be really fascinating and that was your uh, what will probably be weekly NBA talk for some time. Um, it might actually <laughs> I mean, become a much larger part of this podcast. If uh, I, I don't know if people are annoyed by that, I don't know what you want from us. <laughs> yeah, you, like, you, do you want us? We, to... We've been at this for what seven, going on eight years this, now, somehow. Something like that. Uh, this is actually probably like... the longest running Syracuse podcast ever. Somehow, I think that's pretty. I, I, 
I know there are others out there now. I think it's pretty easy for us to claim that. Yeah, like the longest I can't think of another one. Podcast. I can't think of anyone who's been around for as long as us and have been as consistent as us. Like we are basically here every week. Um, like I think you could probably count on like, you know, I think it's probably under twenty the amount of weeks we've missed in that time frame, which is insane. Yeah, considering everything that's happened to both of us, <laughs> like from yeah, like life and everything else perspective. Yeah, I feel like we've done a good job. And uh, we, we've been here the entire time Syracuse has been the ACC, which is weird to say. but That's true, yeah. I guess the announcement came before, but the move came after. I assume it was like pretty shortly after. Thereafter. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing this uh, pretty consistently since 2013. Yeah, that sounds just right. Like, yeah, which is just a wacky... Because I remember we kind of started... We started doing it in earnest in part to like get everybody acclimated to the ACC before we got in. And then we just pissed a lot of people off. Instead, shout out to all of our, our day ones out there <laughs> who've been listening for seven seven on year odd years. Real heads know. Oh God, that's anyway. so wild to think about. Um, what have we done with our lives? With our Mondays, but previously, like I sometimes think Wednesdays. Wednesdays, occasionally Tuesdays <laughs> and Thursdays. That one live show that we had. That was a thing. Anyway. Shout out to everyone that was at the live show. Um, <laughs> And it was the one time me and Dan did the show in person. Literally the only time. Oh, that too, yeah. Uh, in a hotel room in, in Brooklyn. Brooklyn before the ACC tournament. As one does. Well, before the AC, before the AC tournament really got started in earnest, but after Syracuse was already knocked out because <laughs> b- b- because New York Life decided to fly me out bef- after the game. Well, while the game was happening, never thinking, really- that, Sy- never thinking that Syracuse would lose on day one. <laughs> Which, a couple years later, we're like, hey, guys, you might want to get John out there earlier because Syracuse doesn't tend to do great in this tournament. <laughs> Aside from this year, of course, when we, when we won the ACC tournament in 2020. Yeah, as, uh, as is now indisputable, despite, yep. the, d- despite a, a certain um, like uh, trophy awarding ceremony that may or may not have happened. I can't confirm, and no one else can either. <laughs> Uh, that of, feels like feels like a whole lifetime ago that we beat UNC, and now UNC but, like maybe doesn't exist. UNC beat itself this week when it decided to oh. basically do minimal to no testing before students got back, and then have like four to five different dorm outbreaks in a matter of a week. So now they're online only, and uh, and really, if you're not going to take precautions beforehand, that's probably going to be the case for a lot of universities, unfortunately. Yeah, that's like it's far from a UNC problem. They just happen to be the first ones to like really notice or, or like get on get on it. But like, you know, I think it, it, it's not hard to find videos from like pretty not like crazy in terms of like regular life, but pretty crazy in terms of Corona life. Uh, college parties from UNC returning this year, and uh, I'm sure I've heard Villanova had them too. I've, like, I'm sure every school had like a pretty big party situation this weekend, and that's what was going to happen. Like a hundred percent of the time, you were never going to get. BYU had parties that people were like mad about. I think they were like alcohol free, but alcohol like leads to our problems right now. Um, so like bringing college students back to the campus environment was always going to have this happen. I'm sure there was stuff at Syracuse this week. Um, and also bringing kids in from like, if you're UNC, obviously a lot of the kids are, are local, but still like there's going to be a hefty population coming from all over. Um, some of those guys are, are kids, uh, you know, are bound to have, um, the virus whether or not they know it coming from all over the country and are going to spread it and now what do you do like do you keep them quarantined on campus and have them do online learning from campus that seems goofy do you send them back home to potentially spread the virus to their older family like that's not a good option do you keep them um on campus and then have you know you know two weeks everyone's like really buckled down and then two weeks are over they're just gonna go throw parties again and send us to happen again unless you somehow make sure no one leaves their dorms for two weeks like you're, it's, it's going to be impossible to stamp out this virus in a big university like that. And again, it's not a UNC problem. It's a, you know, a nature of college problem. So um, just like one of the, one of the issues with this whole thing, um, especially with the schools that are like, all right, well, we can definitely ha- to transition topics. Um, we can definitely have college football. Like everyone got to campus this summer. Um, you know, there were cases some places, but people are definitely safer on campus. I'm like, they were safer on campus when no one else was there for sure. Um, are you going to just kick everyone off else off campus so we could have college football? That's an idea. But I think we've talked about the moral implications of that idea pretty heavily. Um, so, you know, you're admitting a lot if that's what the move is here. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough week. It's going to be tough. I, I imagine this is going to be a situation that plays out at a lot of places 
Um, and it just brings back the question, like, how are we going to do this safely? Because you're not going to stop 18 to 22 year olds from doing their thing. It's, it's unless you turn your campuses into like police states and then what are, why are we having, why are we having school then? So it's, it's brutal. Yeah. And like, you know, like we haven't really talked about it on the site it's only because I think Stephen Bailey's reporting uh, for Syracuse.com has been so good on this front, but, um, Syracuse players have sat out, um, at least once, if not twice, um, just because of concerns around, um, in particular, like Liberty and, and their, their lack of real testing. There's been, um, a bunch of stories going around since then. I know Liberty's come out and said that once games get started, that they'll be testing, uh, you know, in, in earnest and, and and more in line with what the ACC wants. But realistically, like, I, I think Liberty is a, a big concern, but it's probably not the only one. I mean, the ACC is going to have uniform policies across the conference. Um, and I think that was less of a concern for um, for Syracuse players who've sat out or, or indicated that they might sit out uh, for the season. I think the bigger concern, yeah, is, is around having Liberty on the schedule. Uh, we don't have to get into the Liberty issue because there's a lot of things that we've, you know, kind of talked about numerous times. Um, but Dan, I, I do feel like this is starting to kind of separate maybe along, you know, North and South lines and, 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 you know, maybe private and public school lines. And it's, 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 it's not, it's creating more divisions here, unfortunately. And I think this is where, um, this is where college football in particular gets caught up because, um, at the FBS level, there isn't necessarily a central governing body, um, even P5 schools who have their own kind of little committee can't uh, come to any sort of agreement on, on on what happens, what's next. I mean, you've seen the two conferences have already said that they're not playing um, in the P5, and you could see the rest follow at some point. Like, I I know we talk about this every week. I'm still not convinced this season happens, um, but at the same time, I think the stubbornness of um, officials to some extent could make it happen regardless. I just hope that, that, that we can – find a way to do this safely i think that there is a way really i mean i know that there was that uh expert from duke who said that there was a way to do it safely and if we can find a way to do it safely sure i'm on board it seems that the big 10 uh there's a renewed push for them to potentially try to do it safely pac-12 seems less like sure of it i at this point i i, I kind of go back to what we've been saying for the last couple of weeks like how how given the timeline of things and given what was happening in march and given what was happening in april um, and May and into June, like, is this still not, what, was nothing figured out to the extent that we're, we're really no further along, I feel, than, than we were, um, you know, when, when this really started canceling things and altering our way of life? Yeah, I, I think this whole situation has really brought to light how much of an issue um, not having a central governing body in, in all, of, you know, reality for college football is. Um, the NCAA has very little control over the Power Five, especially to the, you know, they call themselves the, the Autonomous Five uh, kind of internally. Um, and that's kind of like a big F you to the NCAA. But um, not that I think that having the NCAA in charge here would like really fix everything, but just having some kind of overall overarching voice to like figure stuff out and to lead these conferences in a direction, I think would be helpful in this one situation. Um, you kind of see it like over the last couple of months, you hear like, the noise was, oh, the Power Five, they're working in conjunction. They're all going to probably come out with a similar plan. And then over the last couple of weeks, um, they came out for a certain point. It looked like we might have five different start dates on five different weekends. It ended up being four until the Pac-12 and the Big Ten then abruptly canceled. Um, now the Big Ten, there was that report. I don't know if anything's come since this. I was commuting back to Connecticut after this broke. But Sandy Barber from Penn State saying that they, she wasn't even sure like what kind of vote was had among the Big Ten presidents. Like, and I again, we weren't like we weren't among those really knocking the Big Ten for the decision they reached. But you have to have some kind of like clarity on how the decision got there. Whether I mean, I'm very like, confused like, on that one because there was a vote. like the Pac-12, it became very clear the presidents unanimously decided it. And at, at that point, like whether or not you would, you would agree with it, like fine, like 12, 12 people all from very different places came to this decision. And the Pac-12, um, I think Jeff Schwartz, who's an Oregon guy, NFL one-time NFL player who's in the media now, um, made like the really strong point. Like the the Pac-12 presidents are like academics, like a hundred percent across the board. Football, it's big at a couple of those places: USC, Oregon, Washington. But it's not what it is um, in the Big Ten or the SEC. Um, so in the Big Ten, you have kind of more of a hodgepodge of cultures and whatnot. Even though we we joke about like the Big Ten like overarching, but like Nebraska is very different from Rutgers, is very different from Ohio State. Um, 
And like, I think that's kind of reflected in how the Big Ten made this decision and doesn't seem to have their ducks in a row in terms of like getting the message out. Um, or like saying like, this is why we did it. This is the medical information that we got, um, et cetera, et cetera. And that's like, again, that's not even for people. We're probably on the lower end of like skeptics in terms of like, what's this the right thing to do? Um, but it just doesn't seem like they, it seems like they, someone, I don't know if it was Tevin Warren, just like decided that was the call or a couple of the presidents decided that was a call and didn't actually like get everyone on board or, or even like take your time to like figure out exactly how we were going to trans like make this decision. So now you have like the parents of different, different schools, you have Justin Fields starting a petition. So it's brutal. It's just like a, a really bummer situation for everyone. It almost makes like the ACC and the SEC uh, like kind of waiting it out, even if that might end up looking dumb. Like, it, you know, I don't think there's any real more harm now. And then in like, maybe if you have to cancel in September, you have to cancel in September. Like we had the NCAA tournament canceled a couple days before it was supposed to start. So it's just so hard to know what's right. <laughs> we talk about it every week. Um, but it's, it's, it is wild how we've, you know, continually gotten here. And it's crazy because uh, when you hear from the college basketball side of things, which obviously a lot of Syracuse fans are deeply in, invested in, um, it actually sounds and, – and the NCAA could easily bungle this. Like, we no one would be surprised if the NCAA bungled this. Um, but they seem very supremely confident that they're going to, like, have a plan for having a tournament. Whether it's a bubble or whatnot, like, they don't seem that concerned with pulling it off. And, like, not that I'm buying in on the NCAA's ability to uh, make things happen – but at least like they're signaling that there is a plan, which is basically like the opposite of what we got from college football for months. Yeah, I, I do agree. I mean, obviously, like if there is a plan, I, I'd, I'd very much like to hear what it is. Uh, <laughs> that that would be great. Uh, I think seem... uh, it, it seems very like it seems there. It's almost like a hidden secret or a, uh, like a open secret that uh, like we're probably not going to start till January. Oh yeah, I mean, most conferences at this point have seemingly indicated that we're not going to start till January, and that's fine. Like, if if you say we're not starting till January, January, but like when you get to January, there's a definitive plan in place, and that probably involves mostly conference only matchups. Uh, that's fine. Like, that's great. I, I would just very much love to hear the details now um, or, or or soon, um, and not not to criticize it, but more just to like you know what, the court of public opinion can be ruthless and, and idiotic at times, but sometimes just putting it out there as a, as a kind of trial balloon and just seeing what happens, like can start to shoot some holes in things rightfully and, and, and help you create a better solution. You know, this, this is kind of how politics has worked for, for, for quite a while. It's how even college sports has worked in part um, where in, in certain leagues where you just, you know, put out a trial balloon, it's sources say that X, Y, and Z could happen, but it's not final you hear some criticisms, you hear what could go wrong, you make some changes and, and, and you fix it to be the, the actual solution that's going to be put in place. And I think that there's a there's an opportunity to do that here, um, especially given the fact that there are fewer challenges in some respects uh, than what college football has around actual staff and, and players and the amount of people that are involved. Um, and and I, I think here, like, you could conceivably create a bubble um, and still have like, you know, students attend classes uh, remotely and things like that. Like it's not foolproof, obviously. And, and I'd love to hear what they are, what they're thinking, but the, the, there's a real opportunity here um, to have at least some semblance of the season and some semblance of, you know, an NCAA tournament if you play your cards right. But I do think that that still requires teams to maybe um, and, and conferences to really start getting those ideas out there now so that they can be, you know, kind of tested and, and and evaluated and then, you know, start putting them into place that we see which conferences are on board, which schools are on board, um, which conferences aren't on board. How do you implement um, a conference-only season and then really have an NCAA tournament um, selection process properly? Like, how many non-conference games do you have to have to really make this sort of – to make some sort of fabric that ties teams together when it comes to that selection? Like, I, I think there's a lot of questions here, and and, and I, I think the sooner that we start talking about um, the the solution for for college uh, basketball, the better, so that we can um, you know get moving and, and not and hopefully not miss the second straight um, you know NCAA tournament now. Yeah, I mean missing another tournament because it's it's basically the money maker for the NCAA every year. Um, I think it'd be kind of catastrophic for them. Um, so I think they're going to do whatever they can, but it does seem. Um, obviously we need hard plans, but it does seem like the difference between like 
early NBA versus early MLB, where the MLB just kind of waited for a while and didn't do anything until like after they had their labor fight, and that's kind of what college football kind of seemed like. Minus, I mean, I guess it's kind of a labor fight, um, just not like one with an actual organization behind it. Um, but then, like, even if college basketball has been kind of mum on the details, like it does seem like there's some push. Like there just isn't a lot of uh, there isn't a lot of worry coming out of that side of things. Um, and it's kind of like the NBA. You're, you you have some faith, obviously more than the NBA because they're a better run organization. But to figure things out, but also basketball in general because of the smaller roster, smaller staffs. Um, if they have to just do like a couple, like I don't know if you just like circle everything um, within conference around different weekends and just send like five teams from the ACC to like a quote unquote bubble for a weekend, and that's like play like round robin games for a couple days and just like get through the season that way. And then do like actual bubbles for the tournament. I think it's it's more workable than college football for sure because you can actually have teams kind of stay close together versus football. The rosters are so big and unwieldy that you have like one walk on cornerback go to a party and and give the virus to like twenty players in the locker room the next day. So it's um yeah I think I, I I'm cautiously optimistic that college basketball will figure it out. Um that isn't to like blindly throw my uh, faith in Mark Emmert. Uh, I will never do that. You can not, not convince me. Uh, even after they play a tournament and it worked out, I'm like, well, let's just wait a little bit and see if it actually worked because NCAA is usually so bad at this. But the one thing they actually do usually pretty well is the NCAA tournament. They usually execute on that. So maybe maybe we can trust them to figure some solution out here. Um, but we'll see. Because uh, college football just seems like, you know, I, I obviously don't want Mark Emmert running college football if I can avoid it. But it does seem like after this, we should maybe consider having some kind of FBS czar who oversees these things because the way we did this this year just was a disaster. And I know this is an unusual situation that you hopefully, you know, once hopefully it's a once in a lifetime thing, but it does seem like the, this has exposed some real issues with the uh, running of the sport. And it's even if it's not a pandemic, like there are probably other things that could pop up that might call into question having decentralized power systems break down among like five conferences at the power level and then like what 12 conferences overall um or 10 um it just really didn't work out this time and like imagine how what could have been saved had everyone been on the same page from you know march on i mean realistically you're right this does this does expose a lot of issues and i think one of the ones that that maybe folks aren't really talking about enough from a Pac-12 and Pac-10 perspective in particular um, is kind of in the power structure of, you know, the, the just college football apparatus versus the players. And I think, I think because of the fact that the players were, had organized uh, in an official capacity, um, at least on paper and, and in writing um, for the Pac-12 and Big 10, um, th- there was really no going forward without acknowledging that. Um, and acknowledging, you know, kind of a, a union of sorts um, of these players. And I think that that the only way that the Big Ten and Pac-12 could really go forward was at least acknowledging that the, that that amateurism was a fraud and the fact that they, you know, were, um, and I'm not the only person that's, that's said this, but the, the only way they could go forward was with, um, with you know, putting off some of that uh, amateurism talk and, and really start coming to the table around, you know, how you acknowledge players are employees to some extent. And the fact that they walk away here um, does allow these conferences and these schools to largely put that conversation off for um, at least a year, if not another three to five. So I, I, I think that that's definitely part of it. That's probably going to be something that comes up repeatedly as we talk about even the NCAA tournament um, now. But I, I, I think that because it, it shouldn't be that's surprising that the ACC packed uh, the ACC SEC and big 12 uh, did not have those same public um, statements around it. And, and, and of course, you know, as a result, they're not, um, they haven't canceled yet. Um, doesn't mean they won't, doesn't mean they won't face these same issues. Doesn't mean that the players uh, themselves won't organize. Um, I think you're seeing, you know, some, again, to bring up what's happening at SU, I think you're seeing some of the, you know, rumblings around things like that for them as well, where uh, players want to look out for themselves and their, and their families and, and, and their health and, and, and they very well should. So I, I don't think this is done um, by any stretch, even if, even if the rest of these conferences are, uh, are pushing on. 
Yeah, I actually, I, I, I want to say, I, like, I think it's been pretty impressive generally how SU, both on the player side and on the Trosha administration side, has handled um, the players sitting out. There's been, like, I'm sure coaches are annoyed um, if you, like, you know, had them on a, on a uh, you know, telling the absolute truth. But there's been no um, leaks from that side of, like, oh, we wish these guys would just, you know, shut up and go to practice. Um, the players have been pretty much given, it seems like, rain to, like, say what they feel. Um, and obviously there are kind of, not divisions, but, like, guys like Tommy DeVito have said, like, hey, we want to play. Um, some of the other guys have been more ambivalent about it. Um, but there doesn't seem to be, like, a huge breakdown on the roster either. It seems like everyone's, like, hey, obviously there are, you know, real concerns uh, with the Liberty game, with some of the other schools in the ACC. Um, so we're going to allow everyone to express these. And uh, no one from Babers to Wild Hat to whomever else has really um, – doesn't seem like they've impeded the message at all. Like, they're, they're, they're letting the players do what they need to do, um, which I think at a lot of other schools, based on what we've seen, like the Washington State situation, <clears throat> a couple of others would have uh, not played out so cleanly. So I'm glad everyone seems to be, like, letting this thing – go the way it's going to go and, and, and without like having any real blow ups or any uh, super huge concerns about, you know, things turning ugly. Um, so that's good. I agree. I think Dino's uh, handled this really well um, in, in recent weeks. And I know some of his statements today where he really was, uh, you know, stressing family and stressing being about something and standing for something. And I think all that's awesome. And, and I think that, you know, Dino dating back to, um, you know, the, uh, the, the aftermath, the George Floyd uh, murder, uh, has really kind of navigated this offseason about as well as you can as a head coach. Uh, and I give him a lot of credit for that. And I give SU, for the most part, a lot, a lot of credit for how they've been able to navigate things. Yeah, I mean, they were also, like, when the Liberty stuff broke, um, like, Virginia Tech and NC State both have Liberty on the schedule. And SU gave, by far, the most uh, aggressive statement from Siverud, um after after the, the Hugh Freeze thing. Um, our, our good Twitter friend, Hugh Freeze. Um, <laughs> um, so I, that, I think that was probably appreciated by the players as well. We're like, Sifarud, obviously he stopped short of like, hey, we're looking down to the series, which we both would love them to do. Um, even if you want to add another game, we could probably find someone because of all the mayhem in scheduling this year. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, the fact that they SU came out like real hard and it's still like, hey, why do you schedule them at all? But that aside, it was nice to see them come out really strong where Virginia Tech and NC State, who also have Liberty on the schedule as their plus one, um, didn't really – I don't think – I don't know if a Tech said anything um, or, like, they said, like, we're aware of it or something. And then NC State, when I had looked, didn't hadn't said anything yet. So, yeah, uh, that was good to see as well considering, like, I, if you had asked us what school was going to be the, the real issue uh, with a thing that required, like, uh, stringent rules that are based on science and stuff. Uh, Liberty, uh, 130 out of 130. Agreed, agreed on all fronts. Um, Dan, now that we uh, had to talk Liberty a little more than we probably wanted to, let's uh, let's talk about what we've been That's drinking. Every week. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for that game in 2021. Just like, actually, I can wait for that. But after the game in 2021, never again. Viking <laughs> done, done with Liberty. Um, uh, I just was working through my fridge uh, again this week. Um, I think I kicked the Hawaiian Pizza IPA from Rockaway. Um, I had the last big clairvoyant distortion from Heavy Reel uh, Crowler, and then uh, a couple of the Mango House Supernovas from Half Full. But the stuff I've been drinking because I've been trying to to whittle down um, on what I've stuffed my fridge with over the last couple of months. Um, I'm going up to Upstate this weekend with some friends, so I am sure we will be getting some Upstate beers, which will be nice. Awesome. Uh, on my front, nothing uh, all that crazy interesting. It's really all the same stuff I've been drinking uh, here and there. I just kind of finished off what I had uh, to make way for a uh, a Russian River uh, IPA case, uh, some new and old stuff that uh, is getting shipped down. So that'll be in tomorrow. I'll be talking about that next week. Um, so finished off uh, my Things for Your Head seltzer, uh, grapefruit, had uh, the Broward West Bounce IPA, uh, the uh, Malgo Pills uh, from Highland Park uh, that I believe I had mentioned before. Actually, maybe not on that one. Um, that was just a, a Hoppy Pilsner from Highland Park and Amalgam Brewing in Denver. And then uh, wrapped up my uh, Highland Park uh, Neon uh, West Coast IPA as well. 
So like I said, nothing really new or crazy, but um, just wanted to finish off kind of what I had in the fridge. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, why don't we move on to a little bit of uh, ACC football preview? As mentioned last week, we're doing the first half of the ACC. Uh, last week, we're doing the second half this week, uh, minus Syracuse. Uh, we'll have a full, uh, assuming the season is still uh, projected to be on, uh, we will have our customary um, kind of hour plus. Um, it'll probably be around an hour, hour and 10. Uh, Syracuse football preview episode, um, as we usually do. Uh, we'll be talking about each position group. Uh, the schedule a little bit as it currently stands, um, and then just kind of going through wins and losses, uh, even if that might be a futile exercise. Um, and even if it's a little bit earlier um, this season compared to um, when we usually do it relative to games starting, since we'll probably have a little, at least a little bit of a gap um, between, you know, when we're doing that, which would be the 24th, 25th um, of August versus when games are starting, which is the weekend of September 12th. But We'll still have plenty to talk about. I, 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 I promise everyone that, and I think it wouldn't surprise everyone to hear us uh, do an episode mostly about the NBA in the meantime, if that's what we need to do to fill some space. Yeah, if anything, if we've learned anything over the last seven years, uh, we can find just random junk to talk about for an hour, <laughs> if need be, uh, before football starts. Oh, I'll talk about the new Tulane shirt that I bought that is on its way, um, if need be. Why don't we, uh, we move on to the ACC football? Uh, last time we went from BC all the way through Miami alphabetically. So today we start with NC State. Um, and Dan, honestly, like I feel like after years of you and I and many other Syracuse fans kind of doubting NC State, calling them clown frauds, uh, now we actually have a reason to because NC State, despite like still reasonable enough recruiting, still better than us, the roster's kind of fallen apart on Dave Dorn like within two years of him deciding he didn't want to go to Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, A, good on us for squatting on that take for so many years. Um, just waited <laughs> we it out. Low. We bought Waited <laughs> for like, a time, they, and now we're going to pass. One, one year, they're, they're like, kind of, you know, they're bad, st- or they're, you know, really weak scheduling, um, will fall apart, and uh, this roster will just lose, like, the decent quarterback they always seem to have, um, and they're going to be bad. So, yeah, that was last year. Um they actually like it's 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 interesting. They have some talent, like they've recruited pretty well. It's not like a lot of, like the fundamentals haven't really changed in NC State. Um, they just lost their quarterback play, and that uh, just that was all. That's all she wrote. Um, and Doran does seem like a classic. Like was seemed to be trying to get out, and just like didn't bite on one of the places that would take him because they weren't big enough jumps up from NC State. Um, and now he's kind of there, and and now it could go the other way. If he has like another bad, season, probably not this year, but let's say he has a bad twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, like it's not crazy to think he might end up on the hot seat. Yeah, I mean, realistically, like he, I, I would argue, underperformed relative to talent for a couple of years, and I think that's becoming more and more apparent now um, that you see a lot of those players uh, were drafted. Uh, have found some success in the NFL already. Like there's definitely a case to be made that um, Doran actually underperformed uh, relative to what he had on this roster. Uh, And now I I would say that this team, this team's probably going to tell you where, where, where things are headed for NC state, to be honest, like last year, the wheels came off and this year quarterback play is once again, going to be a problem um, or at least a major question. I think they're the, the big saving grace for them is going to be the fact that they have talent at skill positions, um, skill positions. And then whoever's uh, going to be under center, at least will have a veteran um, enough offensive line in front of them. Um, you know, guys like Joe Skullthorpe, others like that. This is a group that at least has experience um, coming back and that's good for them. At least I, I think on defense, uh, they face a lot of questions and a lot of inexperience and, you know, it's going to be, potentially a far cry from what, what this, uh, what this team had on the defensive end. I, I think that NC state could very well finish uh, near the bottom of this conference. I mean, I don't need to go too much further um, into it. I, I just think that, you know, I, I think if NC state falls apart this year, I think if you see at least at the current schedule, if you see something relative to like a, a two and eight or a three and seven, I, I think that, and NC State fans are going to be very concerned about what's happening going forward, and they, they really should. Yeah, it's going to be all about the quarterback play this year. Like you said, they have a actually a pretty nice running back core. Um, they bring back, I think, most of their receivers, a solid offensive line. So if they get, like, B-level quarterback play, they should have um, 
a pretty decent season overall offensively defense uh you know the front seven is okay but it is young as you said um the schedule i think actually does kind of work out for them um compared to some of the other acc teams like us um no clemson um they host florida state and who you know we don't think that much of florida state this year like what's their toughest road game here Vatech, pitt virginia that's not uh, a super grueling uh unc probably um but again like they 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 miss notre dame and they miss uh clemson which is extremely lucky yeah i mean without feeling conspiracy theories if you think that'll that at least a few of the triangle schools ended up the, doing the pretty well the here. pro door in conspiracy we got to keep them around <laughs> we'll see uh what happens for them honestly like i said that this is a team that few things break right, maybe they finish around 500 or so. Um, if a few things break wrong, this is a, a disastrous season. I think it's something we can relate to and we'll definitely be talking about next week. Um, elsewhere in the, uh, the Tar Heel State, the uh, UNC Tar Heels, uh, as mentioned earlier, uh, say what you will about the, uh, the schedule, um, well, the, uh, the academic schedule um, and, and how students will be in class. I think on field, obviously, you know, we've talked about it here and there off season. Um, you, you, ha- you have a, uh, as much as like Mac Brown is, was derided at first as a hire, he's really turned in what could end up being one of his best um, jobs in the off season. Really. When, when, when you look at how this team is recruited, how they continue to recruit, how they're really bringing in, um, you know, just elite classes nationally, not just uh, from an ACC perspective. And now, um, you know, Sam Howell, uh, who probably is one of the better quarterbacks in the country, um, just a sophomore, and he's going to really put in uh, quite a bit of work this season. They're they're pretty set at, at, at most spots at this point on both sides of the ball. This was a team that finished around 500 last year. Um, had a difficult schedule, really took Clemson to the wire. And now um, North Carolina was the odds on favorite when we had divisions in this conference um, to win the coastal. Uh, they were a team that could very easily win, uh, you know, eight or nine games at the very least, maybe even 10 hell um, based on this schedule. Uh, they look good at pretty much every position. There are not a ton of questions other than maybe, I would say the uh, defensive line is really the only glaring um, query for anyone looking to uh, to doubt this squad a bit. And uh, if I'm if I'm a North Carolina fan and I'm not um, for the for the last time, um, sub haters, uh, uh, the, the, this this Tar Heel squad could look very very good um, all around, and yeah, could very well be challenging for an ACC title and maybe more. Um, this year depending on what the season and the postseason look like yeah i mean i think mac caught lightning in a bottle with sam howell um obviously it was a nice job stealing him away from florida state when he got him i don't know that most of us expected him to be plugged in as a true freshman and be immediately one of the best quarterbacks in the league and that's what he was last year uh there are very high expectations so he does have to avoid kind of a sophomore slump but um if he does like this team is is easily a top four even if you're you know going to be conservative team in the acc um including notre dame um howell's really good so positions are really solid i think the line play is a bit of a cause for concern um as it is for so many acc teams but i think it, it did shore up a bit towards the end of the year last year uh, and the schedule's not terrible like they have notre dame but they get them at home at the end of the season and um they they travel to Florida State, they travel to Miami, but those teams are both have question marks at Virginia. But, it, like, again, this is, as you said, with NC State, like, I don't know if it's uh, the Triangle Schools got a little bit of a hookup here, but um, pretty manageable overall. And then they have Charlotte as their their plus one, although no one's really has a, a tricky plus one since, um, I don't know, are there any ACC Big 12 games that are still on, or Big 12 went, uh, are they conference only? Uh, ACC, oh, the the Big Twelve, like the ACC is playing more games than everybody else, to my knowledge, and just because I think, yeah, uh, Big Twelve is playing nine plus one, um, SEC yeah, is playing sure ten only. Yeah, I wasn't sure if there were any ACC Big Twelve games that got protected, but I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. No, I don't believe so. Yeah, this is uh, this is very much a uh, a a. a Conference only plus mostly cupcakes uh, set up for uh, for the ACC uh, mm-hmm. because for some reason we just keep 
leaving the non-conference game on there, despite the fact that they don't need to or shouldn't want to. Um, yeah, UNC gets a gift here in, in a lot of ways. Uh, no surprise. Um, road schedule, at least at current. And I know we're not going to talk like in depth on a lot of these schedules, but um, you know, BC, FSU, Virginia, Duke, uh, Miami on the road, very manageable road slate for them. Um, UNC shouldn't really be shocking people as much as they're, they're going to look very, very good um, whenever we end up seeing the field again, uh, whether that's this fall or spring or maybe never, who knows. Um, UNC does look good. And uh, I don't want to talk about the heels anymore to again, stop feeling conspiracy theories about my fandom and where it lies. Uh, Notre Dame, reasonable slate. Uh, they do have games against the other, the two top other t- two top teams, of the conference uh, UNC and Clemson. Uh, beyond that, super manageable slate for them. I mean, obviously, Florida State could be tricky, if nothing else. Um, Louisville should be tough. But this looks good for them. And, I mean, closing against us in a game that may or may not even happen um, puts the, the Irish in a good spot to potentially have a Clemson rematch, um, you know, a month, month and a half afterward in, in, a, in a hypothetical ACC title game. So Notre Dame has some questions. Um but at the same time, like was seen as a top 10 team coming into this year. Um, now, instead, we end up with a, uh, a, a Notre Dame team that, uh, that very much is competing for a conference title for the first time and, and, and maybe even more. Yeah, I have them. I think they're short of college football playoff uh, squad, although without the Big Ten and Pac-12, uh, who knows? Maybe. I mean, that's just going to be. <laughs> Um, an easier thing to do this year than it normally would. Um, so maybe um, I think it's going to be tough for both Clemson and Notre Dame to get in having, you know, the potential for playing twice. Um, and that's kind of what's lining up here uh, as they play in the regular season and then would potentially play in the conference championship again, um, considering there are no divisions. Um, I think they're going to be pretty good. I, uh, um, Ian book is like streams, productive college quarterback who just isn't like, won't get you over the hump. I don't see him being a player that's going to win you a playoff game or like a huge bowl game against like a, a, you know, premium opponent, but I think he'll, you know, he'll beat up on your mid power five teams pretty well. Um, he doesn't expose against really good teams occasionally. Um, I'm interested to see what their offensive looks like. Uh, they lose chip lawn to Tennessee, the offensive coordinator, um, Tommy Reese, another, uh, mediocre Notre Dame quarterback of years past is the new offensive coordinator, even though he's just 28 years old. Um, I'm sure Brian Kelly will have his hands pretty deeply in that offense as well, uh, considering that. Um, so they, they have some interesting, they have a really nice receiving core. Running back's a big question. They don't have much returning uh, talent, in ter- not talent, they don't have a lot of returning like uh, experience in the running back core. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like, although their offensive line is always pretty good. Um, Liam Eikenberg is, is one of the best offensive tackles in the country. Um, so they, even if they don't have like a, you know, a guy back there who's like super dynamic, they should at least be able to open up some holes for whomever's back there by committee. Um, and defensively, this team is always very talented. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think they're like, they're in that Notre Dame range, like 10 to 15th best team in the country. Maybe you bump that up a couple spots with the Oregon's and Ohio States of the world being out there. But um, I'd be surprised if they made a run to a playoff, if we have a normal playoff considering uh, the Clemson kind of barricade in front of yeah, I agree. I mean, there's there's virtually no way that, in, like, realistically, even if Trevor Lawrence, uh, Travis Etienne, and numerous others sat out this season, um, I don't see a reality where um, Clemson's not at least, you know, sniffing a playoff bid, if, if, if not more. I, I think that, you know, Notre Dame's going to have their hands full, and I think that still it's, it'll be interesting, you know, assuming everything happens. Um, this, is a Clem- this is a Notre Dame team that really could – at least show everybody what this fun reality could look like for a season or so. Um, It'd be really funny if something happened where they're like, we really want to be in a conference now. I don't know what that (laughs) is. I don't know like realistically if that's possible, but like everyone's going to be thinking it the whole year. Like if say they, they and Clemson play like say Notre Dame wins the regular season game and then Clemson wins like the narrow ACC championship. Like, there, there's going to be some like, oh, this is so much fun that uh, we're in this conference championship thing. Like, obviously, we now we're it's in a sink kind of going back to whatever we were doing before and not being able to get a revenge. So, like, I, I can't imagine that, like, as a program, they're going to want to stay in the conference. But I do imagine, like, the, 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 
the fans who I think Stu kind of younger and the Notre Dame fan base that are open to joining a conference would maybe get more along that line. Although it's, I don't know. I think we're still kind of far from that. I think there has to be like more incentive for them. Well, I mean, I, I've already said, I think the stipulation should be on top of what we did get from Notre Dame, which is already more than you and I both thought. Um, I, I think that the, the rule should be that if, if Notre Dame wins the conference that they have to be in it. To blame it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Like realistically just own it. Cause there's nothing more embarrassing to be honest for the ACC in this situation than Notre Dame oh. winning it. And, and then, and then not coming back. Yeah. I mean, that's a walk-off win as, as, as it were. It would look bad. It would look like, all right, well, we're above the conference thing, which is just so, so clearly false considering they haven't been above any of the conference teams that have beaten them like a drum in every major uh, postseason team they've had for like three decades now. But um, yeah, no, it wouldn't be a great look. Yeah. So I, I'd very much like to avoid that, but uh Moving on to the other teams that they may or may not be able to beat, um, we are at uh, Pitt. Pitt, the other team that you and I, in particular, um, among others, um, will, uh, will will sell, 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 sell on every single year. Um, and honestly, like this year, you could make the case again, if only because of the offense. I think Kenny Pickett is not that great. He's really the only thing to write home about on the offense, and even then. He's really more of a um, game manager. And part of that's because he's not really asked to do much, but part of it's because he's really not necessarily any more than a, than a fairly accurate and pretty efficient quarterback. Um, he doesn't really have the tools around him once again this year. Uh, he might even have fewer around him this year. Um, so if you're, uh, if you're not on the, uh, the candy pick a train, uh, feel free to continue to, uh, to stay there. But uh, on defense, the thing that will save him and them uh, as a Panthers program is the fact that Pitt is probably one of the top five to ten defenses in the country somehow. Um, and it's because um, the Narduzzi uh, expertise of defense and the uh, you know secondary in particular has finally come to roost. This is a very, very good group. Um, DeMar Hamlin, uh, Paris Ford, both very good. Uh, DeMar Mathis also very good like th- this is a group that between that and uh, and a really 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 uh, great kind of front four um i honestly uh think that again this could be a top five defense this could be a, a defense that delivers them far more than they probably deserve and uh and and as much as i would love to see them finish around 500 and i still think syracuse has a chance to beat them i think this is probably more likely to be a dark horse um like, you know, sneaks into the the championship game again type squad. Yeah, I'm really concerned for Syracuse particular about the matchup against their defensive front. And also, I just noticed looking at Pitt's schedule, they do not have a plus one game set up yet. So as of now, Pitt would open their season against us on the 19th after UNC opens their season against us on the 12th. Like, that's annoying. <laughs> Can they not? I don't want them having like us on their radar for, for a, a full month. Um, that seems unfair. Especially if we're going to get knocked around by the heels to start the season, which very well. Yeah. Could like they need to get a game. They need they like, cause their, their game was supposed to be Miami of Ohio and that type of uh, canceled because of the Mac cancellation. So I think Pitt needs to find a game here. Like, I guess they don't have to, but it seems ridiculous. Kind of a, like, what was the team that, uh, Oh, it was Notre Dame last year that their fans stepped up, or maybe it was this coming year before the schedules that changed, their fans were complaining that, like, five different teams had their bye weeks before Notre Dame, which is really funny. Um, yeah, like, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I don't like the thought of two different teams back-to-back opening their season against us. Like, we don't have that uh, advantage against Pitt, um, where they're going to have a full month from now to prepare for our game unless they get one for the 12th, which I imagine they're supposed to be trying for. Um, so, yeah, Pitt, schedule someone, please. I mean, the only real knock on Pitt and the only reason why my statement about them sneaking in uh, couldn't happen is probably because if Louisville's as good as people think they are, if Notre Dame is as good as advertised, if Clemson's as good as advertised, you know. UNC. People, UNC. They, they will they avoid UNC, but Pitt does have Virginia Tech. They do have Florida State. Like, if, if the defense is very good and the offense is – capable enough this is a team that could sneak in but i think that if they pull it off and this is ends up being a very very like top 15 good pit team 
Yeah, it's uh, the defense is going to be good. I just the, the offense, I just have so many questions about. Um, but it, I mean, defense. This will be such a weird year. Maybe just having an elite defense is enough uh, to get you through, especially if you just like pull an upset here or there. I hope it's not you, Fit. Uh, <laughs> moving on, as mentioned, we're skipping Syracuse and the Athletical Order because we're talking about them for a full episode, as we always do, and because this is a Syracuse podcast nine times out of ten. Um, we move on to uh, Virginia, who's made an, uh, the uh, ACC championship game last year, and now they uh, they replace some pieces. They uh, they definitely have some questions at a variety of positions. At the same time, while the offense probably has a lot to replace, uh, the defense could fill holes admirably and actually looks to be um, reasonable enough on, on the defensive side. And to me, like the big trouble for, for Virginia is going to be the schedule. You know, Fatek, Clemson, uh, a, a, a iffy Miami team, uh, a, a juggernaut North Carolina team, as always, Louisville, um, who knows on Duke. Uh, Florida State could be capable enough. Like Virginia, I think was going to be okay this year. They could have probably still finished 500 or so. Now I think that this is pretty much around the same thing, like five and five, six and four. Um, we don't have to go game by game, but realistically, this is a Virginia team that is going to not roll over, but also not necessarily uh, wow. Yeah, them replacing Bryce Perkins, I think, is going to be pretty difficult. He really did it all for them last year. They didn't have a ton of, like, uh, you know, they didn't have some master running game to uh, kind of fill in for him. Um, and replacing your quarterback, your star quarterback, is never easy. Um, I and your top two receivers. Yeah. Um, I forgot uh, Keaton Thompson from Mississippi State is uh, is here now. Um, he's interesting. He's a uh, very much a, a dual threat guy, uh, but I think he has really qu- big question marks about his uh, throwing ability. Um, I think he was under 50% completions at Mississippi State and then ultimately lost that job. Um, but it's an interesting piece, but uh, it wouldn't be surprising if uh, they were trying to figure out the quarterback situation like into the season. Yeah, and realistically, I mean, the, the one saving grace for them is that the fact that they do have receivers that can catch the football for them um, – they have a decent enough offensive line in front of them, actually. Actually, one of the probably better offensive lines in the uh, conference in, in front of whoever's under center. So um, there's some pieces in place to help whoever jumps in succeed. But, yeah, I, I still think they're probably around a 500-ish team. That's fine. I think the Bronco Mendenhall actually has this program in a pretty good spot, both now and in the future, even if, you know, I mean, for, for, for the Who's and for a lot of other programs, this is a team that, that the, if the ceiling – becomes ACC championship game trip and the floor becomes, you know, five and seven ish. Like that's not bad. More teams we talk about, the more I'm convinced that the ACC is going to have like 10, 500 teams. Oh, I, I, I even alluded to that last week in the like tweet about this, uh, the pot, the last week's podcast. And I really, this week's too, is that the ACC, their biggest problem and their biggest strength is the fact that they're probably going to end up with most of the conference around 500. Hey, guess what? Bowl games. You guys, if, if you guys go off, uh, you know, need teams, we're going to have them just five wins. We're, we're here. We're going to have a lot of five win teams. So, so many. Let's get that bowl money. Moving Filling on. all the bowl spots from like the big 10. <laughs> Every every one of them, yeah. We're 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 gonna be we're gonna be in the Rose Bowl. We're gonna actually no, the Rose Bowl already said they're not playing. Without. A spring Rose Bowl, I will say, would be kind of cool. Like, it's it's gonna be really funny to see the Big Ten and Pac twelve pretend like it's a national championship game, but it's pretend? not. <laughs> well, I mean, I think they're always pretending it's a national championship game. That's that's fair. I whatever it is aside, I think like a a uh, like April Rose Bowl like. Let's say put the Rose Bowl like the weekend after the the college basketball uh, national championship ends or something. It'd be really cool. I wouldn't mind it, depending on who's in it. But, That's true. I think you would mind it if it was like Oregon versus uh, uh who's your least favorite Big Ten team? It's usually Ohio State. Yeah, I mean that's easy. That's raw meat. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen that before. Like, like, like Oregon, Ohio State is a thing that like happens on a frequent enough basis. It was supposed to happen this year. It was at least once. Uh, 
in any case, uh, we got two more teams to go before we wrap up here. Uh, Virginia Tech, they had a pretty solid uh, setup to uh, win more games than they were probably supposed to. Now uh, they've got tough games. Uh, They still could uh, win more games than they're supposed to. But North Carolina and Clemson are on the list. Notre Dame is not. Um, Again, without going through every game, I think this is a Virginia Tech squad that has a ton on defense and really like last year's, um, you know, attrition and let's plug in all the young guys thing actually worked really well uh, because now you look at what they have left and they have a very, very deep group, uh, a very talented group, even without uh, Caleb Farley. I think this is still a very good secondary. Um, I really like what they have up front. I I think in general, this is an offense that um, has questions, but I actually think that Hendon Hooker has become a uh, better than average passer. And I think that's good enough uh, for them to be able to win a lot of games on the schedule. I think that they're still probably a step below, um, you know, that, that established top three in the conference and that's fine. I I think realistically with, without probably many bowl games, if any um, this year, this is a, like if you win seven, good for you. Yeah. I think they're basically like if hooker takes like the next step and the defense is, like the top level of what people think it could be. It wouldn't shock me if Vatek crashed the party in the ACC championship. Um, I think Notre Dame's inclusion makes it tougher, but um, if just that, you know, if Notre Dame has a couple hiccups and loses the plums along the way, like obviously Vatek's schedule isn't super easy by any means, but um, I think it's a talented group. And I think there's like a fair amount of pressure on Fuente probably, um, you know, the expectations have been higher for what he was going to do, especially after a, a solid first year and he really kind of looked like he might've hit the stids uh, for a little while there, but um, it seems like he's mostly got gotten things uh, back on the right track. But if they have a disappointing season, I think there would be some, some real pressure going into 2021. I agree with that. I think he's, I think he's safe this year. I think everyone is, I think 2021, I, I think kind of the bare minimum is like, eight wins probably like, like for, 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 for people to feel comfortable with him going forward. Um, obviously I think there, there are other factors there and I'm not a hokey fan myself, so I don't have all the ins and outs, but I think that probably in 2021, you're looking at a like, okay, if you don't win eight, now we have to have a conversation kind of, kind of season. Yeah. And also just uh, post Bud Foster world will be interesting as well. Also true. Um, last but not least, maybe least, who knows? Uh, Wake Forest. <laughs> Wake Forest. Last but, uh? uh, the team that everyone gives a lot of credit for, uh, a lot of things despite accomplishing very little, um, overall. We were just I mean, late on it. Like, they, they deserved a lot of credit before, and then they've gotten worse, and now people are like, oh, wait, it's not that bad. It's like, yeah, you missed, you missed the blip. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the one big thing I would say. Uh, for them is just the fact that, you know, they, they've managed to um, withstand a lot of injuries, plug in um, talent over and over again. They've managed to rebuild uh, a couple times now and have, have looked good. That said, uh, replacing a ton on offense, um, most of the offensive line is gone. Uh, there's really nobody left at the skill positions except for uh, Sage Surratt. Uh, Sam Hartman actually is pretty good. Um, and by pretty good, I mean that he is uh, not going to be bad, um, which is fine. Uh, realistically, he is a capable quarterback. He's actually given Syracuse a fits, um, despite the fact that he's been the backup behind Jamie Newman. Um, I think this group will be fine. I, I think the front seven is actually, well, front six-ish, um, is actually probably one of the better and more experienced groups um, in the conference. Uh, Carlos Basham is a very, very good edge rusher. Uh, beyond that, I think this is a team that finishes around 500 and everyone lacks surprise when really this is what you should have expected all along as the ceiling. And that's probably what it is. Yeah. I think Clausen's done a really nice job there. I think he is pretty much in a place where like, he's going to be there as long as he wants. Um, the experts there are very, very limited, uh, for Wake Forest football should be. Um, Hartman's rock solid. You, you could do a lot worse than the Hartman Surratt, um, you know, pass catch combination. Um, I think the defense is going to have some major issues, and I think in any game where they, they're going to have to be like real shootout territory, and I'm not convinced that um, Hartman will be the guy to win a bunch of those. But 
Uh, yeah, they'll float around 500. They'll be in that that morass of five to seven win teams that we have this year. Realistically, it's not to deride Clawson. I think he's done a fantastic job given, you know, what's it, Wake Forest? Wake Forest is like, you know, a similar type of difficult job as Syracuse, and yet Clawson's actually managed to do um, about as good of a job as you could expect with it, really. Um, and the, the only real thing he's missing and the only real thing that I, I, I never understand why he's, he's given credit for, he's given credit for a lot. And I, I, I don't think that like, realistically, Dino winning 10 games at SU was great. Dino winning seven or eight games per seven to eight games per season over, a, a over a decent stretch in the stretch that he's been at SU would probably be better. Um, at the same time, like I still think that you have to give um, Dino a, a little bit more credit for the ten win campaign, if only because establishing that upper limit of what you can do is still probably a better job um, than establishing that you can win seven or eight. When Grove kind of proved that he could do that already, yeah, it's definitely a good debate. Like I think, I think more people would be happy um, overall winning seven to eight a year um but with how normal touchable schedules are even in the atlantic like you can kind of you can kind of like construct that um maybe not seven to eight every year but you can construct like we're gonna make a bowl almost every year we're decent because we're playing four just nothings if you want to um and awake did that for a bit um and then you know you steal a game here and there. You beat like the 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 worst teams in the league, and then you got there. Um, Syracuse has totally done a bad job of doing that. When uh, we wish they would do a better job of it, but also um, I don't think Wake has come particularly close to having like the ten win season um, or the like challenge. You know, uh, have they come close to beating Clemson in recent years? I don't remember. Mm, I think no, they had like not. a feisty moment, but not like. Like, obviously, I think we've had, you know, we had the win. Not that we need to harp on that forever, but we had the win. And then also, like, two or three other, like, really competitive games against them. Um, so it's, it's yeah, it's it's a good debate to have. Like, what's what do you get more credit for? You, you can kind of see, with our own fans, like, a lot of guys jumped right back off the Dino bandwagon the moment it didn't look like 10 wins was going to happen two years in a row or that we would not have a disappointing follow-up season. So, um, but at the same time, I think those fans who are, immediately selling after a, a disappointing follow-up year would also be selling if you plateau. So it, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, uh, tough argument to have. I think, I think personally I would feel better in the seven to eight win a year range, but then you want to try to scale up and, and start like scheduling harder um, and start trying to like reach that next level, getting to where you need to go, where we just have never gotten to that plateau area yet uh, where like you kind of jump off from. And that's where, you know, that's where Wake is. And that might be the ceiling for Wake, ultimately. Like, we've seen them did a little bit better than that. Like, we've, they had the the one ACC championship trip year a while ago now. Um, so I, it, maybe they have, like, uh, you know, every 10 years they're going to have, like, a, a, a shot at it. But, um, yeah, overall, I think you can't really complain about what Lawson's done if you're there. Yeah, totally. And, yeah, and I, I don't mean to deride the job he's done. I do think that... I, as I said, I think he gets more credit than he I get, he gets more credit and the program gets more credit than they probably deserve. Um, but that's just because I think people view them as a perennial seven or eight win team when more more accurately they're a perennial six or seven win team. And, and that might seem like splitting hairs, but I think it's fair to, to point out the differences between those two things. So I, we have breaking uh, report by John Rothstein. Um, source this one ACC March. press. Yeah, source. This is March. Um, <laughs> this this whole year has not been March. There's been no March this year. This year. Actually, um, I, I could argue what, the whole year has been March. <laughs> <laughs> Madness, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one ACC president has been told by medical personnel that the best course moving forward is to have virtual classes with all non-student athletes moving off campus. And so again, how do you do that? And also say you have amateur athletes, <laughs> We're about to but also that. who's this medical personnel? Who's like, Hey, we know the most important thing as medical professionals is to have sports. So here's what you need to do. And like, if that's the game, just say it. Like I respect it. But again, all this would be so much easier if you just get over, get over the amateurism thing, 
push through some kind of NIL, which you punted on this year, and that was a huge mistake. Um, the Mets are just bombing home runs right now, which is amazing. Um, but also just like, sorry, mid, mid random thought. It's just so frustrating because if you had just figured out the amateurism thing last year or even this summer when it was supposed to be done, um, you could way more easily sell this. Instead, it's like, oh, yeah, these doctors are definitely like the ones who are like, keep the football players on campus and send everyone else home. Uh, it's just so so bizarre. But uh, I look forward to more Rothstein stoops because he's definitely taking this as as you would uh, assume John Rothstein would um, and uh, in with the most, the most possible college basketball tunnel vision anyone's ever had. Yeah, that's pretty much the only way Rothstein can Rothstein. Um, I think we'll close on that. Um, Dan, appreciate you joining as always. Yes, looking forward to the Syracuse preview when we get to it. Um, if we get to it. We'll talk but to you about will. scheduling. Yeah. Should we do it anyway, even if they cancel the season? Yes. <laughs> Just like, here's what Syracuse would have looked like. Super down. Yeah, so uh, thank you again for, for hosting. And uh, yeah, just everyone continue to, to do what you're doing. And, and hopefully, we'll, hopefully we'll have some football and hopefully it'll be safe and hopefully it won't be Cosign on all that. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on uh, Megaphone, on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.